Pushkin. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G-connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with location telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity, giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is Accelerating Innovation with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. Did you know some travel credit cards offer 10 times points on your spending? Don't miss out on big rewards for your next trip. NerdWallet lets you compare smart travel credit cards side-by-side, curated by an expert team of finance nerds. What could future you do with better travel rewards? A free flight? A room upgrade? Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. This is Solvable. I'm Jacob Weisberg. We have made a valiant effort to make sure that black scientists have been at the table of the vaccine discovery and development, the evaluation of the data in the clinical trials, and then the decisions at the FDA and CDC of the allocation. Even with such concerted efforts and successes with bringing black scientists to the table, many people of color in the United States still express hesitation about receiving the new COVID-19 vaccine. Americans of color serve in essential jobs across society, which makes it even more urgent that they be vaccinated. They're the people who check people into the emergency room. They're the orderly. They're the ones in food service. They're the ones in transport. So you know that they were at increased risk of being infected. According to the CDC, Black Americans are 1.4 times as likely to be infected with COVID-19. Indigenous, Black, and Latinx Americans are at least 2.7 times more likely to die than their white neighbors, according to American Public Media Research Lab. As COVID-19 vaccines roll out across the country, the medical establishment faces this problem. How do you reestablish trust or establish it in the first place? If there's ever a time to understand history and to understand how that has influenced people's ability to trust the health system, the time is now. Dr. Valerie Montgomery Rice is the president and dean of the Morehouse School of Medicine. She was among the first people to be vaccinated in the United States. Her shot was broadcast live on CNN. She thinks this is a problem we can solve. I believe that we can move from vaccine hesitancy to vaccine certainty.
Dr. Montgomery Rice, I'm so happy to be able to talk to you about this today. You know, I think a lot of us have been watching the catastrophe within the catastrophe, or one of them, which is that COVID-19 has disproportionately infected people of color, and I think even more disproportionately killed people of color. You know, one would hope in that situation that African-Americans would be at the front of the line to get their vaccines. And I wonder if you can talk for a minute about where we are and and why uh, African-Americans are, in some cases, more reluctant than others to get the vaccine. We know that this uh, virus has disproportionately impacted people of color, not just African-Americans, but Latinx. And questions were raised early on. Was there something unique about race or ethnicity that put people at greater risk? What we really recognize when you looked at the science that this virus did not discriminate that if you were in proximity with someone who was infected, you had a higher chance of being infected. Latinx and African-American were the people who were the essential workers because they're the people who check people into the emergency room. They're the orderly. They're the ones in food service. They're the ones in transport, driving your buses, who were picking up your trash, who were working in restaurants, etc. So you know that they were at increased risk of being infected. So it was not that this virus was discriminatory per se against people because of their race or ethnicity. It's the social determinants that have led to this. Now, having said all of that, we know that we see a disproportionate number of health disparities because of the social constructs that have not allowed for greater access to care and then access to the greatest level of quality of care. And so we have made a valiant effort in the science community to make sure that black scientists have been at the table of the vaccine discovery and development, the evaluation of the data in the clinical trials, and then the decisions at the FDA and CDC of the allocation. Yeah, and and of course, people saw you getting your first dose of the vaccine on on CNN. And one of the other first recipients of the Pfizer vaccine was an African-American nurse in Long Island. Um, So there have clearly been efforts which you've been in the center of to have prominent, trusted African-American voices publicly getting vaccinated. If someone sees you getting vaccinated on CNN, sure, that builds trust, the institution you represent, all the things you're talking about. But at the same time, what my friends are saying or what my neighbors are saying or what I feel like the people I know are going to do is going to have such a big impact. How do you create influence at that level around vaccines? So, you know, I take a lot of phone calls. Uh, I answer a lot of emails. And uh, I tell people the truth always. So when we didn't know stuff early on, Jacob, I told them we didn't know yet. We needed to give time for the studies to be completed with the vaccine trials. And then as we started to know more, we then shared more. And so what I've tried to do is to be transparent about what we don't know and open, even more open about what we do know. And at no point have I asked people to deviate from those healthcare practices, though, of the three W's, washing your hands, wearing your mask, and watching your distance. 
And recently I added a P on that. So it's three W's and a P now. Being patient for when is your turn to receive the vaccine. And so I think it's really, really critical that we as healthcare providers and as scientists let people know that this is evolving. That's what I've tried to do with my peers is to make sure that they understand that we don't know everything. But what we do know, be confident in that. We have enough smart people to help figure out most of these things. I mean, when I hear about white people who don't want to take the vaccine, I just have a gut reaction that's irrational, that's conspiracy thinking, they're anti-vaxxers. I have no sympathy whatsoever. When I hear about African-Americans who are reluctant to take the vaccine, I think, well, there's a whole history there, very specific things that happened in the past. Am I right to draw that distinction or is anti-vaxxing, anti-vaxxing? I mean, are they versions of the same thing or are they different things? They, they are not versions of the same thing. So, you know, Jacob, if there's ever a time to understand history and to understand how that has influenced people's ability to trust the health system, the time is now. There is a book called Medical Apartheid by Harriet Washington. It is a very difficult read, but it is a book that gives you a historical perspective on what has happened from the time 400 years ago when we were brought to this country, when blacks were brought to this country against their will, and how they were used throughout their bodies and their minds for medical experimentation, whether it was with the person who was named the grandfather of gynecology, Marion Sims, how he used black women slave women against their will to perfect surgical procedure and they were not given anesthesia, et cetera, or whether or not you're looking at how he addressed tetany in children and how he used bondage to close their sutures in their, in their head that are usually closed on their own over time. Or you get to more modern day times when you're talking about Tuskegee. They actually were not injected, per se, with syphilis. They developed syphilis, but they were not given treatment. And it was intentional. Right. And there are other instances. You can think about the Mississippi appendectomies. And we've had throughout the South challenges in history of women having hysterectomies performed on them without their knowledge or consent. And so while I would never be dismissive of people's concerns, what I've tried to do is address their fears. And the one way that I know to address it, Jacob, is to acknowledge what has happened in the past and talk about how we've learned from that for the future. And one of the things that we learned was that we needed to have trusted voices in the room, trusted voices at the table of decision when clinical experiments were being designed. We needed to understand the science of how the disease, whatever it is, impacts one race or ethnicity or gender over another, and to make sure that those persons were represented. And then we needed to understand the social constructs 
in our society that prevent people from having the greatest level of access or inclusion. And we are doing that with this vaccine development and rollout. And hopefully we're going to move us from this vaccine hesitancy to vaccine acceptance. Yeah. I wonder if you can tell me a little more about your own story and how your your family played into your approach to, to healthcare and science. I mean, so much of this comes with, you know, how we, what we hear growing up, of course. And I just, mm-hmm. I wonder um, how you became so passionate about, about healthcare and the uh, Black community in particular. Well, you know, I was raised in a single parent household. My parents divorced when I was six, uh, three sisters, and my mother raised us. She uh, started to work eventually in a paper factory. She worked there 25 years, 73, 3 to 11, 11 to 7, and became the highest ranking woman in a paper factory in Macon, Georgia. What I saw there was resilience. I saw grit. I saw a woman who came home every morning or evening or night when she was finishing. And she only had a high school diploma, but I believe she had a Ph.D. in my mind. She would whisper things in our ears, Jacob. All things are possible. You can do anything. And when you're growing up, it's a nuisance because somebody's in your ear while you're trying to sleep, right? (laughs) It's a nuisance. And so she was trying to instill to us what was possible. And I went to Georgia Tech based on the fact that my science teacher said, you're good in math and science, and they're looking for black kids to be engineers. And I got a scholarship to go to Georgia Tech. Really didn't hardly even apply to other places. And I co-op with Procter & Gamble. I was a chemical engineering major, and they offered me a job. And that scared me to death because I actually didn't want to be an engineer. And I looked up in an encyclopedia, math, science, and people. And one of the things that comes there is medicine. And I went over to Spelman College because Georgia Tech did not have a pre-med major at that time. Told my advisor, I think I want to go to medical school. And she said, you don't seem to know a lot about going to medical school. And I said to her, I didn't know a lot about being an engineer. And that's working out okay. (laughs) And so I really believed that all things were possible. So the rest is history. I decided to leave Georgia Tech with a chemistry degree. I went to Harvard Medical School. And now I've had a daughter to graduate from Harvard Medical School. And so when you look at this history... I think it was built on resilience and grit. Hello, hello. Malcolm Gladwell here from Revisionist History, my podcast about the overlooked and the misunderstood. A couple of years ago, I wrote a book called Outliers. It was about exceptional people, the ones who operate at the outer edges of human performance. Outliers fascinate me. And last year, I discovered an outlier in the form of a community organization, Washington State's City of Bellevue. The city wanted to improve public safety by making their roads safer. So they created something that no one had ever built before, a platform that gave road users warnings of any dangers ahead in real time. How did they build it? By using a combination of technologies, the cellular vehicle to everything network, T-Mobile's 5G network, and 5G connected cameras. People driving, bicycling, walking, running, can't forget people running, and people operating the transportation network now had a way 
to prevent crashes. It's been a huge success. The City of Bellevue earned first place in the community category at the T-Mobile for Business Unconventional Awards, an event that celebrates T-Mobile customers who've dared to innovate for the sake of meaningful change. If you're a T-Mobile for Business customer and your team has, like the City of Bellevue, innovated something really, really cool, I encourage you to enter. It's also a great way for outliers to be recognized in front of your industry's most influential leaders. You can enter at tmobile.com slash unconventional awards. That's tmobile.com slash unconventional awards. See you there. As listeners to this show, you probably consider yourself pretty smart. But how smart is your wallet? When you're looking to upgrade your wallet, it's time to turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds has the financial smarts to help you find the right financial products for you. Before NerdWallet, you might have paid for vacations with whatever was in your wallet. But you could have been missing out on miles you didn't even know you were leaving on the table. Now you can get a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. Musora is your access to online music lessons for guitar, piano, drums, and singing. This is your chance to reignite some old musical passions or pick up an instrument for the first time. Connect with more than 100 of the world's best teachers and musicians. You'll get seven days totally free to try it out. And then it's just $30 a month, less than a single private lesson. I mean, why do we do Broken Record? Not just because we love hearing from great musicians. We do it because we think that there is something beautiful about the appreciation of music. Don't you think we need more of that in our lives these days? That's the mission of Musora, to inspire, educate, and connect musicians. Enjoy unlimited personal support, weekly live streams, student lesson plans. It's like having a personal music teacher, only much, much better. Just go to musora.com, M-U-S-O-R-A.com, to start a new musical journey today. So um, the presence of African-American medical researchers and medical practitioners at every level is crucial to establishing that greater trust. Um, but we have a real lag there, don't we? In in medical school, and you know, the numbers of African Americans enrolled is going up, but it's going up slowly. And I don't even know what the statistics look like in medical research and in the development of the vaccine. But what what are you able to point to there? So, if you look at the Association of uh, American Medical Colleges, what we call the AAMC. Black physicians account for only 5% of all physicians in this country, even though we comprise 13% of the population. You will see that Black females outpace Black males at a ratio of about 2.5 to 1, with there only being 619 Black males who entered medical school in 2019. Now, understand what that does in a classroom setting. 
imagine I'm in a classroom with a hundred, 125 students and there are, there's one black male. And let's say that there are nine black females. Lots of medical school classes now occur in small groups. And let's just say that we're talking about gun violence. And so these medical students are forming an opinion about gun violence. And a lot of that opinion doesn't just come from the literature. It comes from the conversations that are had in those small groups. Now, you may say, well, how does that impact my care delivery? Well, let's say I'm now on the trauma team at Grady Hospital. And every person that comes in is a black male with a gunshot wound. Not only am I biased from the fact that in my small classroom setting, I haven't had the opportunity, right, to have conversation with a black male student who may have never been involved with gun violence, but it is also affirmed for me when I get into the clinical setting. That is why diversity by race, ethnicity, gender, socioeconomic status, religion, sexual orientation is so critical to how we educate and train and how we remove ourselves from our biases and are able to be more inclusive in our thoughts and our care delivery. Yeah. I have seen some studies that maybe as high as a third or 35 percent of African-Americans say they don't intend to get vaccinated or don't trust the vaccine. When people say that, what are they afraid of specifically? When you say, why won't you get the vaccine? What do you, what do you, what do you hear back? Most of the time, really, Jacob, they go back to the trust because they say, you know, it's hard for me now sometimes to get access to the highest quality of care. So why would I believe that somebody is really ready to give me access to a vaccine that's supposed to be great? And so it is about building that trust. We did a vaccination program with civil rights leaders, 75 and above, Ambassador Andrew Young, Henry Hank Thomas, Henry Aaron and his wife, Billy Aaron, Dr. Lewis Sullivan, previous secretary of HHS, previous president of Morehouse School of Medicine. Those people were around when Tuskegee occurred. Those people actually lived through that history, yet they were willing to step up and get vaccinated because they believe in science and because it was linked to Morehouse School of Medicine, that trusted entity. Yeah. When you project forward, say, a year from now, when with hopefully, you know, vast majority of the population is vaccinated and the pandemic, if it still exists, is a, is a very manageable kind of problem. Do you think we'll look back and say this the vaccine was a success story in relation to people of color and to African-Americans in the sense that there wasn't a lag in when they got vaccinated, the proportion in which they got vaccinated. Do you think we're going we're gonna to eliminate that disparity just as we utterly failed to eliminate the disparity, the historic disparity reflected in who got the disease and who suffered most from it? Right. So I look at this in two ways, Jacob. What I believe we will do is we will say the vaccine did what we expected it to do 
along with the other health care preventive strategies of the three W's. The vaccine helped us to mitigate the disease because first you're going to see decrease in deaths, then decrease in hospitalizations, but not necessarily rapid decrease in cases. Now, what the vi- what I want to look back and say the virus did, though, was it showed us the chronicity of health disparities and health inequities in this country. And as my daughter would say, it woke all of us up to how we should create interventions that are sustainable such that we never are here again. So that when we think about innovations that we will develop in cancer and diabetes and heart disease, that we will ensure the appropriate dissemination and allocation of that intervention and discovery to communities that have been left behind. Ensure that people who are disproportionately impacted have access to those interventions, that we will understand the impact of social determinants, that you can't be talking to people about oh, you should exercise three times a week and go get this medication filled if they're not in a safe neighborhood or if they don't have a job so that we will understand how social determinants influence access to care and quality of care. Dr. Montgomery Rice, we always like to wrap up Unsolvable by talking about things listeners can do. And in this case, I think the question is, what can people do to help build trust in in the vaccine? I think that people should do due diligence in listening and finding trusted advisors to help them understand the science. Now, I'm not saying they need to understand how a vaccine works because we all take, many of us take the flu vaccine, right? And we don't necessarily know how the flu vaccine works. But what we have done is that we have found a trusted advisor, usually in our healthcare provider, that helps us to feel more comfortable with taking that vaccine. So I want to continue to stress to people to go to trusted sources so that they can understand the benefits of the vaccine. The second thing that I would ask them to do is to continue the three W's washing their hands, watching their distance, and wearing their mask. Because if you do that, and then you are patient, your time for the vaccine will come. But in the meantime, you will decrease your chance of being a case, a hospitalization, a death. And then the third thing that I will say is that we need to recognize that we have the power in this country to do most most anything, recognize who your circle of influence is and continue to have open conversations about what got us here. But let's not let the past hold us back from realizing our bright future. Dr. Montgomery, I got to tell you, it made me feel really good watching you get your shot to see you're afraid of needles just like I am. And I saw you uh, doing the same thing I do, which is look away from the needle. I thought <laughs> if the d- dean of a medical school and a doctor has the same phobia, maybe it's pretty normal. And, and let me just tell you, it, it hurt way less 
than the flu vaccine ever heard. Okay, <laughs> so it was it was like nothing. I was like, oh my god, it's over. I don't even like to watch a needle going into someone else's arm. I kind of just close my eyes. Well, I don't mind putting a needle in somebody else's <laughs> arm. That doesn't bother me. Just I just don't want it in my arm. <laughs> yeah. Well, I wish you were here to give me a vaccine, but I think I'm going to have to wait my turn. <laughs> right. Well, I'd we- certainly rather get my vaccine at Morehouse Medical College than at a pharmacy. Is there any any way to influence where we get these vaccines? You know, so we have been in discussions with our Department of Public Health, and I know other leaders around the country uh, who run medical schools like I do have been in, in conversations with their Department of Public Health. So talking about how do we make it more readily available to the public? And one of the things that we're planning to do here is to have these vaccine vaccinations in our parking lot drive-through vaccinations every Saturday for the month of January. We're also going to use our mobile research van to set up in uh, many of the rural areas in the in the state to be able to offer vaccinations. So we are encouraging um, the uh, departments of public health to partner with grassroots organizations, federally qualified health clinics, to really be able to get these vaccinations to the public versus the public having to come to an established hospital setting where people are overburdened right now with COVID cases so that they can really get their vaccines. But I also would say to your listeners, there are vaccine trials still going on. So right now at Morehouse School of Medicine and at several other places throughout the country, the Novavax vaccine trial is going on. So look that up. You can go find it on the NIH site and enroll in a trial. You got a 50% chance you're going to get the vaccine versus getting the placebo. And so I would say try it. Well, thank you so much for joining us on Solvable. And thank you, um, Dr. Montgomery Rice, for your leadership um, in helping America get vaccinated and to end this pandemic as soon as as soon as we can. Oh, thank you. I appreciate it. Dr. Valerie Montgomery Rice is the president and dean of the Morehouse School of Medicine. Be sure to check out our show notes for links to the facts about COVID-19 vaccines that you can share with friends and family. Next week on Solvable, we'll talk about how to make and break habits. It's the season of resolutions, but really setting yourself up to make changes in your life and behavior can happen any time of year. Please join us for a conversation about achieving your goals. And here's a preview. It starts with friction. Solvable senior producer is Jocelyn Frank. Booking by Lisa Dunn. Our managing producer is Catherine Girardeau. And Mia Lobel is the executive producer of Pushkin. I'm Jacob Weisberg. The tradition of breaking tradition continues with the return of the unconventional awards from T-Mobile for Business at Mobile World Congress. This is an event that celebrates innovators whose bold actions took their industries to new places. If that sounds like you and you're a T-Mobile for Business customer, enter today. If you win, you'll be publicly honored among some of the most influential leaders in industry. And me, I'll be there too. Enter now at tmobile.com slash unconventional awards. See you there. Did you know some travel credit cards offer 10 times points on your spending? Don't miss out on big rewards for your next trip. NerdWallet lets you compare smart travel credit cards side by side, curated by an expert team of finance nerds. What could future you do with better travel rewards? A free flight? 
a room upgrade? Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. 